This is episode 59 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are 5 Myths of GMRS and FRS Radios and 50 Mistakes Made by Preppers and What to Do About Them. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started. Hey, I, I know that I've talked about doing two articles and maybe cutting down a little bit. I have received some feedback uh, on uh, from people, and I do appreciate that information. Just like, hey, you know, we like you know we we like what you're doing, all that kind of stuff. I'm not wimping out on you today. Uh, this second article, actually by Gay Levy, Levy over at Backdoor Survival, is a very very long one, and so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm monitoring how long this podcast goes and see if it's about a normal time length when I get to the end of it. And if it's not, I'll go ahead. I have a third article that I can go ahead and jump into. But I think this one, this 50 mistakes, is going to be a pretty long one. And so, uh, just FYI on that one, I'm not wimping out on you. Those of you who have given me feedback and and those uh, who you know kind of like the length. I know some of you are listening to it as you're driving and uh, you know doing other stuff, you know, around the homestead and things. So uh, again, appreciate that. Appreciate you listening. Hey, this first article comes to us from TalonSurvival.com, and it's five myths of GMRS and FRS radios. And then it says busted. So let's go ahead and get into this one. There are a number of different myths and sales gimmicks out there related to companies trying to sell radios. Let's clear up a few of these myths and clear up confusion faced by many users. Privacy codes aren't private. Myth. Privacy codes keep my transmission secure. Privacy codes will help limit hearing the conversation of others on the same channel. It basically limits the audio that your radio lets through the speaker. The radio receives all the traffic on that channel, but you only hear the audio from radios that are using the same privacy code as you. This doesn't mean your conversations are private. It just means you don't hear the conversations of others unless they are using the same code. Anyone with the privacy code turned off on their radio can hear everything you are saying. You just won't hear them if they are talking back. Remember, privacy codes don't make things private. They just limit what you hear. Ranges listed on the box are a load of crap. Myth. My radio will reach the range the package says. Many FRS and GMRS combination radios, known as dual service radios, that you find in retail stores often tout somewhere between an 18 or 36 mile range. Let's be realistic. You will never come close to achieving these distances in the real world. Expect no more than 2 miles on FRS channels and 3 to 5 miles on GMRS channels between handhelds. When you are in an urban area, these ranges will be significantly decreased due to buildings, cars, vegetation, etc. Extra channels aren't really extra. Myth. My radio says it has extra channels. The FCC has only authorized 22 frequencies for use in the FRS and GMRS bands. Period. The 22 frequencies are assigned in most radios to channels 1 through 22, and you can set the privacy codes to that of your liking. So what are the extra channels? They are actually one of the 22 frequencies, but it is using a preset privacy code that you can't change. See more details in this article. FRS GMRS radios can be used without a license. Myth. I can use all channels on my radio without a license. Well, kind of. If you are concerned about legality, you can use the following without a license. Channels 18 through 14 FRS only frequencies and channels 1 through 7 but only on low power FRS GMRS shared frequencies. To use channels 1 through 7 on high power or channels 15 through 22 at all, you must have a GMRS license to be legal. Obviously, many people purchase the dual service radios from retailers and use all of the channels without any hesitation. Although not legal, it happens. Every prepper should get a GMRS license. It is an easy process and allows you to access GMRS repeaters in your area with an off-the-shelf radio such as a Midland MXT400 or Motorola MS350R. Check out our related article, Why Every Pepper Should Have a GMRS License, to find out more on how GMRS can serve your family communication needs. Power Output Myth My radio has high power on all channels. 
Many radios that tout the long ranges also advertise high power output, usually from about 3 watts to 5 watts depending on the radio. They usually have two power settings you can choose from, such as high or, or HRL for high or low on the display. What they neglect to tell you is you only have this high power output option on the GMRS channels 1 through 7 and 15 through 22. Due to the FRS band regulations, all off-the-shelf dual services, service such as the Midland or the Motorola will only output half a watt on the FRS channel, channels 8 through 14. In most radios, this is the low power setting and channels 8 to 14 are locked on low power. So yes, you get high power output, but only on the GMRS channels. So don't expect as much range or clarity on channels 8 to 14. Hopefully this helps clarify some of the confusion many run into with FRS and GMRS radios. If you found this information useful or have another myth you would like to add, please leave a comment below. Know others who would benefit from this information, share it on social media using the links below. Okay, there were a couple of comments here that I just want to kind of refer to. Of course, a couple of them were just like, why even bother with a GMRS license? Just go get the ham license. You know, it's not that expensive. It's $15. It's easier to get nowadays, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, which really makes a lot of sense. If you're, you know, just go get a Baofeng and get the ham radio license. And so uh, just some people just don't do that. I think the GMRS license is just, you just send off some money and, and they send it to you. Uh, you still have to take the test with the ham radio. There was someone that le uh, left an, uh, a comment about um, an FCC proposal for new GMRS rules, which would allow off-the-shelf uh, radios to have up to two watts of power. So increasing from half a watt that the article talked about to two watts. So that's, uh, that's a proposal that's going forth uh, and I'm sure uh, Talent Survival will talk about that if, if it does go forth because that will, you know, that greatly improves the ranges of that. Um, I, I think these are, you know, having a set of these radios uh, work and uh, they are helpful. They do have their uses. Um, I think I've talked about it before, but, you know, when uh, years ago we went skiing, we were at, um, at Angel Fire, New Mexico. And uh, we had, you know, every, all of us had radio. So if we got separated, you know, someone wanted to go down, uh, you know, a, a black or, or a blue or whatever, uh, you could go. And then uh, we also, um, you know, those that didn't ski that were back at the lodge, which we weren't too far away from, uh, from the mountain, had them as well. So we could kind of coordinate like, hey, uh, you know, we're ready for lunch. Can you bring us some sandwiches, which we did. And, uh, you know, that, that really worked out. It also helped in the coordination when we were, this is kind of a little bit before cell phones, but even in, you know, having cell phones, there are times where, um you know, you're in, you're in situations like especially going up the mountains and stuff where you might not have signal or you'll be in areas where you don't have signal. It was always good to communicate with all the vehicles that were driving like, hey, we need to take the next rest stop or, you know, we need to stop and get, you know, uh, let's stop and get lunch. Where do you, you know, what do people want and, and all that kind of stuff. That's good. Um, one of the ladies that I worked with talked about in the last hurricane that everybody on their street had um had radios and they were all tuned to the same channel so if anyone had an emergency or anything was going on that they could contact each other and uh, you know if anyone needed help they could go to them or whatever and so I thought that was also a good idea uh, in a situation where you know you do have a grid down uh, situation that might be a game changer having some of these you know FRS GMRS with headsets uh, having rechargeable batteries, at least as long as those rechargeable batteries work and you have some kind of solar si situation where you can uh, uh, charge them, it would be a, a, a big game changer. If you are out in the country and uh, you're out there, even if you're one or two miles away, um, you know, that's still, you know, you're still kind of far away from yelling or whatever, but that might, that might be helpful to be able to communicate with others out there. So uh, they're not very expensive. It might be something to look into, but definitely if you have the time and you have the ability to go get that ham radio, I think you should do that because even the Baofeng, uh, you know, we have the advertiser on Prepper website, the survival antenna, which, uh, you know, they show you on their website that you just kind of, you, this, uh, it's coax, whatever, and you can connect it to the Baofeng and you run it up a tree very easily, run it up a tree and it just greatly increases the range of your, of your radio. 
And so uh, very easy ways to increase. And, and I think that uh, in, if you were really in a collapse situation, you would want to have uh, some kind of communication with the outside world as much as you could, uh, if possible, out there. So uh, you should have a Balfung. And uh, if, if the, the need arises, you ha- should have some of these GMRS or FRS radios that you could be able to connect with or, or communicate with. All right, so that's talent survival. Uh, like I said, um, like I say always, there's uh, links here that you'll want to go check out, other articles and stuff that he's linking to here. All right, so let's go ahead and go on to our next article. Like I said, this one's a big one from Backdoor Survival. Uh, Gay has written uh, this humongous article, 50 Mistakes Made by Preppers and What to Do About Them. Now, Gay has been uh, prepping for a long time. Uh, she's one who's just not uh, doing the... Uh, uh, writing about theoretical situations or, or whatever, she she does a lot of this stuff that she's talking about. Um, you know, she takes the pictures, she shows you uh, very clear, uh, plain as day that she's very actively prepping and uh, uh, she's doing it herself. So um, when she tends to write this article, she's pulling from a lot of information, uh, even uh, uh, yours truly. Um, but it, you know, providing a lot of information and a lot of links. So you're going to want to definitely go check out this one at uh, Backdoor Survival. So let's go ahead and start reading this, and uh, we'll see how far we go on this one. 50 Mistakes Made by Preppers and What to Do About Them The longer you have been prepping, the more you realize how easy it is to get sidetracked and to prep for things that in the big picture are of rel- relatively low priority. It is no wonder that articles on prepper mistakes and lessons learned are so popular. It has been a couple of years since I wrote about some of the mistakes and goofs we all make while prepping. Since then, a lot of things have changed. For one, the mainstream media has caught on to three-day kit mania, which means more and more families are now ready for short-term disasters. On the other hand, threats from Racco Wacko foreign leaders have escalated to the point where terrorist-driven EMPs, pandemics, and outright wars have become more of a possibility, if not a probability. Talk about two very different sides of the same coin. With the wisdom gained from living as a prepper for the last seven years, here are 50 common and uncommon prepper mistakes we can learn from. Before starting, I should point out that I struggled with the ordering of these items. Although there is always a strong interest in supplies, gear, and food storage, it is planning coupled with a survival mindset that will see you through the prepping process. For that reason, I am starting with those particular topics. The other thing I want to point out is that there is a bit of redundancy to the solution and resolution of some of the listed prepper mistakes. It stands to reason that a mistake doing one thing will overlap with something else, and so for the purpose of this article, I felt it was important to maintain those small redundancies. Now that I think about this, isn't that the proper way? With all that said, let me warn you that this is a long list. Grab a cup of your favorite something and learn from these common or not so common prepper mistakes. First, uh, The first area is planning. Number one, failure to perform a risk analysis and prepping for the most likely disruptive events first. Hey, where have you heard that before? Uh, just yesterday's podcast, right? All right, so here, here we go. When first getting started, it is easy to go off willy-nilly preparing for all sorts of calamities. Earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, terrorist attacks, pandemics, nuclear meltdowns, civil disobedience, you name it, and the call to prepare will be out there. I can guarantee that this will drive you crazy. I recommend that the very first step you take when prepping is to evaluate the most likely risk specific to your geographical area and your personal domestic situation. Most, if not all, city, county, and state governments will have emergency management websites that will help you sort through the most likely disasters to occur in your area. Take advantage of these public resources. Don't stop there. Take a hard look at demographics. Are you in a city where gangs, mobs, or terrorist attacks are likely? Do you live in a remote area where the failure of transportation systems or the lack of fuel will cut you off from supplies arriving from the rest of the world? Is your employment situation tenuous, requiring that you build up some cash reserves to get you by just in case the job goes away? Clearly at the beginning, some choices will need to be made regarding the best use of your prepping budget. Just remember that food, water, and first aid supplies should be at the top of everyone's list. After that, assess the most likely risk and plan accordingly. For ideas, take a look at 12 months of prepping, one month at a time. 
Here you will find links to articles that take you through the process of gathering what you need in terms of supplies, gear, tasks, and skills to set you on a positive path of preparedness. It may not seem like a lot, but at the end of the year you will be better prepared than 95% of your neighbors. Number two, not keeping your set of emergency documents up to date. This is probably one of the most common mistakes and is one that I am guilty of. It takes quite a bit of work to gather the documents, scan or copy them, and store them in your des designated spot. In my case, they are stored on a flash drive on my survival key ring. A good time to go through the process of updating documents is during the annual switch to daylight savings or whatever date you set aside to change the batteries in your smoke and carbon monoxide detector. While you're at it, think about storing current pictures of family members and pets as well. You just never know when they will be needed to help locate loved ones following a disaster or disruptive event. Okay, just a couple of things uh, I want to talk about. There are, um, so I'm, I'm a minister and I do, I do uh, officiate ceremonies, wedding ceremonies. And so one of the things that we were required to do is make a copy of the, uh, the marriage license. And so I used to always need to be at a copier or take it home, make a copy, send it in, those kinds of things. But a lot of the times the, the couple wanted the, the marriage license because they wanted to walk it in the next day or whatever for, uh, or the next business day uh, because they needed it from, um, for insurance purposes, name changes, or they were going on a honeymoon and the hotel required it for, to be able to prove that they were married. So I have a uh, an app. There's an app called Cam Scanner, just C A M Scanner dot com, and uh, you can take pictures. There's a like a little level on there. You can level it. You can t you can take the picture. You can uh, shrink it down, or at least um, it it'll give you like a square where you can square it off really nice and uh, crop it. And then you can even upload it to Dropbox if you want to do that, or you can just you know save it and uh, you know send it to your email so that you can uh, put it on a flash drive or whatever. So uh, I use that on a regular basis for wedding officiation, uh, you know, to, to do the, the make copies of the marriage license. So that's something that you can use to kind of make it a little bit easier for you if that's something you want to do. Some people are going to be hesitant about putting it on their phone and, and you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm just giving you an option uh, there to do that. But I think it's very important to... Uh, to have this information and have it down uh, somewhere. Like I said before, flash drives are so big now. Um, I have two of them with 128 gigs on there. Just regular size flash drives. And you can drop so much information down there. Uh, just taking pictures of your home and doing a little video and dropping it on there would always be good. Easy to make copies of that. So I can see now that I'm probably going to do a lot of commentary on on these uh, on each one of these. So uh, I probably will run out of, uh, or this probably will take up most of the time. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and continue on. Uh, failure to provide, and this is number three, failure to provide instruction for those that are left behind. Over and over again, I learned of situations where hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of unopened tins of freeze-dried food is sold at estate sales. The heirs did not have a clue that mom was a prepper and so they got rid of the stored food and all of the prepping gear for pennies on the dollar. If something were to happen to you, would the remaining family members know what to do with your preps? Would they even know what they are, what they are and why you have them? Todd Sepulveda, the editor of Prepper Website, has written an open letter to your loved ones that you should read, modify as needed, and keep with your important documents. Additional reading, a preparedness gift that cost you nothing. Oh, hey, there was one other thing I wanted to say now that um, I was talking about that. Uh, up above in the top one, if you go to edthatmatters.com and you register for the uh, for Ed That Matters email, and it, the only way, because I've got all, all of them tied to the new Prepper website uh, newsletter, but it's going to be on the right-hand sidebar. There's a little, uh, when you subscribe to that one, and really, I'm not really pushing that one at all anymore. I might even take this down, this free uh, resource down, but it's a PDF. Um, so when you subscribe, you get a link to a PDF that allows you to um, type in. So it's a typable uh, PDF. And uh, you can go ahead and save it, and um, 
You can make copies for all your family members and put important like doctors names and cell phone numbers and all those kinds of things. And so it's uh, it's you know it's nice and neat and uh, you can make copies of it and hand them out to everybody. So that might be something that you want. So I kind of thought about that one after I read number three here um, about that uh, open letter. And uh, you know, I keep forgetting about that open letter um, uh, that I wrote a while back. Uh, so yeah, go check that one out. All right, so this next uh, group is over the survival mindset. Number four is prepping for doomsday and ignoring the short, short term. It was quite common in 2010 to plan for doomsday to the exclusion of everything else. While we, are, while we all need to plan for long-term catastrophic or disruptive events, the reality is that day-to-day short-term calamities can and will occur, so you better be ready for those as well. A bunker or survival retreat in the middle of nowhere is nice to have, but not to the exclusion of having skills and supplies you will need while hunkering down following a short-term disruption caused by a natural disaster or other disruptive event. Number five is underestimating other humans as a threat. In a perfect world, we would all get along and go about our business in a mild-mannered way, not bothering anyone or causing other harm. Alas, as humans, this has never been the case. From biblical times forward, man has opposed man. There have been and still are warriors, armies, soldiers, and dictators, enemies, and foes. As mass shootings have revealed, mental illness or drugs can make good people go bad. Add the uncertainty and chaos created by an unstable society, and the potential for human threat becomes a major cause for concern. Whether you embrace firearms or shun them, you still need a way to defend yourself, your family, and your property. Consider prepper sprays, martial arts, and other defensive mechanisms in addition to traditional firearms. It is foolhardy to believe that having some means of defense is not needed because there is no one out to get you. Don't be naive in this regard. Despite people, I'm sorry, desperate people are dangerous people, and the lack of food, water, and supplies will turn ordinary people into desperate people in a heartbeat. Additional reading, what to do if you're in the middle of an active shooting. Number six, disregarding the role of comfort when it comes to being prepared. There's no reason you need to treat prepping as your own personal reality show. In most cases, surviving with bare bones basics will not be necessary if you do a bit of advanced planning. As you set things aside, consider basic comfort items such as flannel sheets, grooming supplies, and chocolate. Heck, even some M&Ms or hard candy will be unbelievably comforting following a disruptive event. Additional reading, 16 items to help you hunker down in comfort. Number seven is believing everything you read on the internet. Check, check your sources and use common sense. If something seems off, investigate before taking what you read at face value. That includes what you read here on this site. I do my best to be credible, but honestly. Sometimes even I make mistakes and have to backtrack based on new research and knowledge. Use your head and you should be fine. You know, there's times on Prepper website, uh, I think I talked about this the other day, that I, uh, I, I will post... Uh, two opposing views, uh, different articles, because I really, do, I really do want people to be able to read them and come up with their own conclusions, not just to take everything at uh, you know that it's it's uh, you know that it's scripture, right? Okay, so continuing on, number eight is relying only on yourself and ignoring like-minded members of your community. This is a big one. When I first started prepping, I did not mention my new little hobby to anyone, you know, opsec and all that. But about a year into it, I realized that I could not do it all on my own. There were things I was having trouble grasping and I needed help. As I tiptoed around the edges of my community, I found some like-minded people, and much to my surprise, I found that I had skills and knowledge that they lacked. The mutual exchange of skills and knowledge ensued along with some informal agreements to team up if circumstances required us to be on our own for any period of time. This included teaming up for shelter and food as well as defense. The importance of having a peer group or like-minded comrades in my own community was strengthened as I read R.P. Ruggiero's Bushfire Plague and continued as I explored other truer-than-life survival stories. How do you decide to expand your community contacts is up to you, but be advised that when it comes to survival, one plus one will definitely add up to more than two. Additional reading, Survival Buzz, Eight Lessons Learned from Survival Fiction. Yeah, again, I totally agree uh, with Gay on that. Uh, and The Bushfire Plague was a good article or a good book to, uh, to talk about that, how coming together as a community. And that's, that's one reason why I say that if I ever, we ever get into a situation, uh, that's before we bug out to my parents' uh, 
place in the country that uh, you know I'm going to be doing my hardest to uh, get the community around me to you know come together and realize what we're what we're doing in the neighborhood and uh, you know come up with a plan. Uh, number nine, just because someone else does something does not mean that you should do it. There is an unspoken rule of the road in boating. Just because the other guy is doing it doesn't mean he is right or knows what he is doing. Personally, I have been there and done that and nearly ended up on the rocks. The same rule applies to prepping. As someone who reads a lot on the internet, you have likely come across many authorities with expert advice on one topic or another. This is where the gray matter between your ears becomes the most important tool in your box of prepper skills. Think it through before you unilaterally apply someone's expertise to your own situation. Let me repeat, this includes advice and suggestions from this website. Go back to the beginning and do a risk analysis. Examine your budget. Can you afford it? What are your living conditions? What is the likelihood that a hurricane or earthquake or wildfire will threaten your home? Are you physically up to the task of bugging out on foot? Every step along the way, you should be asking yourself these questions and more. You are unique. Recognize and embrace the fact that with preparedness, one size does not fit all. Number 10. Falling Victim to Prepper Procrastination you have read the best books out there and spent the wee hours of the night reading every website you can find that teaches and preaches preparedness. You should be ready to embark upon your preparedness journey but remain a lurker. There is no other way to say it but this, just start. Select one small task or one small project and see it through to completion. Take some baby steps and spend an hour, perhaps two, and get something done. The results will be worth it. Additional reading. Learning to overcome prepper procrastination. Number 11, obsessing about being behind the curveball. Read this carefully, then read it again. You will never be done. There will always be stock to rotate, supplies to purchase, and skills to learn. Being worried and obsessed about getting everything done at once will only increase your stress during an already stressful period in life. Get over it. Number 12, feeling smug and thinking your prepping journey is over. I have been prepping for over 7 years and believe me, there is still so much I want and need to do. Let me rephrase that a bit. There is much that I want to refine and improve so I am better at this business of prepping. The risk you prepared for last year may not be the same risk you would prepare for today. You have done a personal risk assessment, right? If not, think about doing so now. While you are at it, be honest about your health, your finances, and your ability to go by for an extended period on your own. Let me break it to you. After doing a, doing a personal risk assessment, you will no longer feel smug. Number 13. Forgetting that there is life beyond prepping. Of all the prepper mistakes, this is perhaps the most difficult to overcome. For many, the call of prepping becomes a full-time avocation. Living and breathing preparedness becomes the norm, disrupting work and family activities, as well as the personal quiet time we all need to recharge our internal batteries. Sleep becomes elusive as you fret about being ready. You live in a perpetual state of stress. Hopefully this is not and will not happen to you. Trust me though, it does happen and at one time this happened to me. Above all, remember that regardless of what you think about the future, you still have one precious life to live. You cannot stop the clock of time, so unless you feel an imminent danger, continue to live your life as normally and joyfully as possible. Attend family celebrations and continue to take vacations. Have fun and learn to play. Isn't life itself the reasons you are preparing to survive in the first place? And I'll just, I'll just add that one of the things that will help in not wanting to be away from your gear is skill. So if you have the skills to improvise, if you have the skills or the know-how to uh, to do things on, you know, other than just you, you know, use your gear, then you'll feel more comfortable, you know, being away from it or being away from home. So something to you know to remember: all you're always wanting to improve your skill. Okay, so the next set is going to be over supplies and gear. Number fourteen is creating a three-day kit and ignoring the long term. Putting together a three-day kit and calling Calling it quits is a recipe for failure and a ticket to Camp FEMA or some other shelter. Let's be real. The government, the media, and the Red Cross have been promoting the three-day kit for so long that it is safe to say that the term three-day kit is now common vernacular. Not surprisingly, the three-day kit has also become a marketing phenomenon. The good news is that the more that people jump onto the three-day kit bandwagon, the better, the, rest of us, the better for the rest of us. That is, three days we will not have to reach out and help them. 
On the other hand, something as simple as a winter power outage can last far longer than three days. And a cyber attack, pandemic, or earthquake, two weeks, a month, or even a year of emergency supplies would be much better. Additional reading, 15 tips to keep you comfortable during a power outage. Number 15, stocking up on prepper gadgets that are cute but hardly useful during a real disaster. A lot of junk is being pitched to preppers. I I am embarrassed to say that in the early days, I pitched this stuff as well. These days, I stay away from such things as credit credit card knives, match light fire starters, and keychain survival kits. I do, however, stock up on inexpensive pocket-sized flashlights, mini survival kits of varying types in in compact tins, and multitasking tools and household products. It is the gadgets I'd never heard of and didn't think I needed until I read about them that I avoided. That I avoid. Um, Number 16. Having the latest in survival gear but not knowing how to use it. This is more common than you might think. How many of you have a closet that represents a survivalist dream? Emergency radios, compasses, propane stoves and lanterns, tactical knives, firearms, crossbows, hand tools, solar kits, and more lie idle and unused and untested in more homes than you might think. Every single one of these items needs to be put through its paces two or three times a year at a minimum. Not only do you need to know how to use your gear, but you need to ensure that you, your gear is in good working order. Blades need to be sharpened, batteries need to be charged, and skills need to be refreshed. It is human nature to acquire stuff we want simply because we want it. Don't let that happen with your prepping gear. Buy it used or new, then use it not just once, but periodically throughout the year. The very best preps are those you can incorporate into day-to-day life. Similarly, do you have copies of your gear manuals tucked away in case you need them? Storing them on a laptop or a flash drive is a great idea, but only if you have some way to power your devices when the grid goes down. Number 17. Not knowing what you have because you don't have an inventory. You are walking around the local outdoor emporium and see a fantastic deal on tactical knives. Great, you can never have too many knives, unless of course you are spending money on your fifth knife but do not have a portable lantern. So what, so what do I mean? You should keep a list of what you have and what you need so you do not accidentally spend money where you do not need to do so. Number 18, blowing your budget on gear instead of food, water, and medical supplies. Shopping for new gadgets, gizmos, and gear is both fun and addictive. Who wouldn't want the latest 150 tactical flashlight or $150 tactical flashlight or that set of high-tech night goggles to use in spotting bad guys before they see you? Purchasing survival gear is a necessary part of the prepping process, but it should not be done to the exclusion of food, water, and medical supplies. The the exception to this rule is water purification and fire-making tools, both of which can be acquired for very little cost. For example, consider pool shock for water treatment, plus a magnesium fire tool and dryer lint for fire-making. Over and over again, I learn of families that have thousands of dollars invested in gear, including an arsenal of firearms and ammo, but have less than 30 days worth of food. Not only that, the food they have is poorly packaged and is therefore subject to spoilage or infestation of pests. When developing a preparedness budget, pay close attention to the day-to-day needs you will incur following a disaster or disruptive event. Doesn't it make sense to take care of those needs first? The gear will come in time, so ensure that you are not gear-rich but food-poor. Make a concerted effort to avoid impulse purchases, and you will be fine. I will add to that food, water, medical supplies, uh, you know, the ability to cook, and then an idea for sanitation. Uh, all those things are covered in the, um, the e-course that you get when you subscribe for uh, or the new Prepper website newsletter that you get on all all three websites. You can uh, if you come to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com or even PrepperWebsite.com, we'll direct you to uh, to uh, link up on that new on that new uh, newsletter list. Number nineteen is storing all of your preps in one location. This is tough for many, especially if you only have one home and do not have close relatives or friends where you could stash some stuff. Still, see if you can put together a suitcase or duffel bag with with emergency items and store them at your office or at someone else's home. Set up a barter. I will store yours if you will store mine, that sort of thing. If an alternate location is not practical, consider storing items at various locations around your home. Not everything needs to be on shelves in the basement. Spread things out so that if the basement gets flooded, you still have dry items in the upstairs bedroom. Use your imagination and don't forget to do the very best you can to package everything so it, so it is resistant to moisture and pests. 
Number 20 is forgetting about those with special needs. Think about special situations in your household that will need to be addressed in a survival situation. This may include children, pests, sorry, children, pets, or someone with physical or mental challenges, and the elderly. As you go about your daily routine in normal times, take note of the things you will need to stockpile for these special family members. For example, have you considered the need for feminine products? What about canes, walkers, and manually operated wheelchairs? Pets need food, crates, and toys to keep them occupied while the rest of the family members are recovering from chaos. It will be impossible to cover every contingency, but be aware of what those needs are now, then prioritize those that you deem most important. Additional reading, how to prep for feminine hygiene needs and survival basics, be prepared for pet emergencies. This next set covers survival skills. Failure to practice self-defense. There is far more to self-defense than owning a bunch of firearms and a copious supply of ammo. Have you practiced situational awareness? Do you know what to do if a stranger comes to your door asking for food? And about the guns and ammo, when is the last time you visited the range for some target practice? Number 22, buying gear and supplies while ignoring the need to develop skills. Buying stuff is easy. You, you save your money, sub, select your merchandise, go to your local outdoor emporium or Amazon and make a purchase. On the other hand, learning new skills or practicing old ones takes time, patience, and a bit of study. Do you know how to start a fire without matches or a butane lighter? Do you know how to take advantage of nature's bounty by knowing how to fish or hunt? And what about growing your own food? Could you do it if you had to? Developing skills to become self-sufficient are even bit, are every bit as important as having a closet full of the best gear money can buy. Remember that. Additional reading, 46 pioneer skills for the modern homesteader, and 5 uncommon skills that will be useful after the SHTF. The next group is around survival health and medicine. Having a number 23, having a comprehensive first aid kit, but not knowing basic first aid skills. Having a robust first aid kit, or a fact, is a given as it's having a supply of emergency medicine. But what about knowing CPR, or cleaning and dressing an open wound that is bleeding profusely? Many communities offer free or low-cost classes on first aid. Now might be a good time to check them out. Additional reading, best practices for dealing with wounds in a survival situation. 24. Tossing expired prescription drugs because the pharmacy tells you to do so. If the stuff hits the fan, pharmacies will be closed, or if they are open, supplies will be meager. A three-year-old bottle of pain medication is going to be better than nothing as long as you use common sense with, when dosing. The same thing applies to antibiotics and other medications. Learn what you can now about alternatives to traditional medicines, such as herbs and essential oils, then brush up what you need to know about fish antibiotics for survival situations. Don't be the person who says, after the fact, who knew. Additional reading, what you need to know about expired prescription drugs and why store fish antibiotics for survival. Number 25. Wow, I can't believe we're just only halfway through. Failure to plan for human waste. No one wants to get sick, let alone contract a disease that may go untreated due to the lack of available medical facilities or medical personnel. One of the best ways to avoid sickness is to maintain good hygiene and to properly dispose of human waste. This is not as easy as it sounds because traditional waste systems may be inoperable due to the lack of water and or ruptured sewer lines. Planning for this contingency does not have to be complicated. Super strong hefty bags, 5-gallon buckets, and kitty litter can be used on a temporary basis if needed. The point is not to omit this important prep. Additional reading, dealing with poo after a disaster, and survival basics, uh, hand surface hygiene. I'm sorry. Uh, hand surface hygiene when there's no water to spare. Uh, my eyes are starting to get crossed a little bit. All right, bugging out or not, this is going to be um, the next few uh, under this theme. Number 26, preparing mostly to bug out rather than bugging in. We all talk about having a bug out bag and without question having your most basic survival items in a pack that you can grab and go if you need to get out of Dodge in a hurry is important. But beyond that, over and over, I see people acquire all sorts of gear for survival on, surviving on the run perhaps in the woods or bush at a remote location. I know that in my own case, and also with the majority of the readers on Backdoor Survival, hunkering down and bugging in will always be preferred to taking off into the unknown with our stuff. For many, the choice to bug in has to do with family, health concerns, or financial considerations. That, plus the availability of stored supplies, makes bugging in or staying at home the choice when the disaster strikes. At the end of the day, take care of your bugging in needs first and foremost. Plan for outdoor cooking facilities, perhaps an existing charcoal grill, supplemental lighting, stored water, and a portable generator now. Later, down the road, you can expand your supplies to include the essentials for truly bugging out. 
let me be clear, you do need to have a contingency plan for evacuation purposes, but do not ignore you, your hunker-down-at-home bug-in bug plan. Unless you, your home is not safe, plan to shelter in place at home rather than take your chances in the wilderness or at, a camp, or at Camp FEMA. Additional reading, 11 things to do when you must hunker down in place. 27. Failure to evacuate at just the right time. When the storm of the century is heading your way, know that it is time to evacuate. Load up your vehicle and go. As much as you feel that you are better off in your own home, if the authorities tell you to leave, and even if they do not, get out of harm's way as a precautionary measure. Do so while you still have the ability to load up your vehicle with supplies and fill the tank with gas. Sticking around when there is at least a 50% chance of disaster occurring, hurricane, flood, landslides, tsunami, wildfire, is just plain silly. Part of your planning should be to determine the trigger point for evacuation as well as identification of an evacuation site and a route to get there. Better yet, plan multiple alternative routes as well. And just uh, one thing I, I remember uh, hearing Jack Spirico talk about is, you know, if you're in a situation where you think a hurricane is coming, you can always, you know, go 200, 300 miles out and um, reserve a hotel. And uh, you, know, you just reserve it. It doesn't cost you. You'll put down a credit card or whatever, but it doesn't cost you any money. And then if you realize that you're, you're not going, you're going to evacuate, you don't need to go there. You just cancel uh, before your arrival date. But if you had to, you already have a place and you, had a, you have a reservation and all that. I always thought that was great advice and I always uh, remember that if, uh, if I needed it. Number 28, not having an evacuation route planned out in advance. Right, I just said that you should plan to hunker down at home and bug in. That said, there is still a possibility that you will have to leave in order to ensure your safety. Be ready with at least two routes out of Dodge, including one route by foot or bicycle. In addition, map these routes on paper and just in your head, on, on paper and just in your head, or I, I think it's, she meant to say, and not just in your head or on your smartphone. Mudslides down trees and even mobs or thugs may impede your way. Be ready. Additional reading, finding your way back home without a map and compass. So these next uh, couple are around water and water storage. Using a Berkey day-to-day, -day, but never testing the filters. I consider the Berkey to be the gold standard of water filtration systems. A Berkey is on the expensive side, as are the, the black Berkey filters. Doesn't it make sense to keep it in tip-top shape? You should test your filters using the red food dye at least twice a year. Failure to do to do so happen, but often they are usually fixed by repriming the filters and or resetting the washers. Don't wait until there is a water event before testing your Berkey's. This is important. Additional reading, maintaining black Berkey filters. Hey, the priming, so one of my uh, friends, David Safewater, haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, uh, worked with um, uh, the Berkey guy. Um, created a primer because a lot of the times when you prime your Berkey filters, you're using your water faucet and the power of the water faucet, uh, you know, at home. But if you're in a real true grid down situation and you didn't have that water pressure, you wouldn't be able to prime your, your filters. So he came up with a way to uh, prime them because if not, they just wouldn't work. So if, if you have a, uh, a Berkey water filter and uh, maybe it's put up and you're not using it and you just expect to, if you need to, to bring it out and start using it, if you have no way to prime it, it's not going to work for you. So you, you need one of these primers. They're only like eight or nine bucks. You definitely want to do it because it will it will prime it, but it will also dry it out faster too. So you can you can do it in reverse. I'm going to link to uh, link to that on Amazon because if you have a, a, a Berkey system, you probably should have that. Uh, you know, especially if you have extra filters uh, to last you uh, if for whatever reason. If you are in a grid down situation, you're going to need that. All right, so. Uh, Good on that, and I do agree with uh, with Gay that the Berkey is, you know, it's the gold standard for water filtration. Number thirty, storing pool shock but not learning how to use it. Using pool shock to clean up bad water is not difficult, but you do need to be mindful of proportions to water and safety considerations. Read this article, then practice making up a batch of clean, safe drinking water using pool shock. And for heaven's sake, get yourself a few pairs of safety goggles. Additional reading, how to use pool shock to purify water. Well, I've talked about this one before in the past. I do recommend that you go and you turn this one into a PDF or at least copy and paste it into a Word document and print it out. Uh, food and food storage. Storing food. So this is going to be these next few are going to be around food and food storage. Storing food items you don't enjoy. Number one on the list is do not store food you don't like and will not eat no matter what. 
We have all done it, purchased an item when it is on sale because it was a great deal. If you won't eat it now, what makes you think you will eat it later? Spending money and using your precious storage space on food you will not eat is just silly. All that being said, if desperate, you will likely eat anything. Still, we are talking about preps you are putting in place in advance and not a scrounging effort after the fact when the pantry is bare. Number 32. Lacking the knowledge to properly store your food supplies. There are six enemies of food storage. Temperature, moisture, oxygen, light, pest, and time. Okay, some might say there is a seventh enemy, namely the two-legged type, that gets into the tastier items and eats them without telling anyone. That I cannot help you with. Seriously, though, storing food for the long term, meaning five years or longer, does take some care. Brush up on the basics of food storage and set up an active rotation program. You don't necessarily have to store food for 10 years or longer, but you do... But what you do store, even for a year or two, should be protected to the best of your ability. One thing to keep in mind that except for the problems with pests, most food will still be edible even if it is not stored at optimal temperatures in a moisture and oxygen-free environment. Learn proper storage methods to ensure maximum taste and nutrition. There are, some, there are many food storage articles on the website. Simply type food storage into the search box at the upper right-hand side of the page. In addition, consider a preference guide to food storage as an all-in-one resource available in both ebook and print form. 33. Not rotating out-of-date food items. Label everything with the date of purchase. Sharpie pens were created for this purpose. However, you choose to keep track, rotate your stored food items the best you can without getting paranoid about it. Many of the use-by and best-by dates on cans and packaged goods are put there by the manufacturer but relate more to taste and texture than actual spoilage. See the next item. Number 34, throwing out packaged and canned foods because they have passed their use-by use date. During my recent move, it broke my heart to throw out hundreds of cans of perfectly good, commercially canned meats, fruits, and vegetables because no one would take them because they were past their use-by date. Read this three times out loud. Use dates on commercially canned goods are mostly a myth. However, you keep track of your food inventory, rotate your stored food items the best you can without getting paranoid about it. Many of the used by and best by dates on canned and packaged goods are put there by the manufacturer but relate more to taste and texture than actual spoilage. Let common sense plus your eyes and nose be the judge. If the outside of a can is dented, rusted, or shows signs of leakage, toss it. If you open it and it smells off, or even if you think it smells off, dump it. Just be mindful that you will want to secure and dump bad food in such a way that children or curious pets cannot get to it. Additional reading, what you need to know about eating expired food. Number 35, storing everything in the same place. Think about it. If everything is stored in your basement and the basement is flooded, you are going to have a problem. I know you are thinking that everything is packaged in moisture-proof package, packaging, right? If you have three feet of water in your basement, that will not matter since you will not be able to get to it. Canned goods should be on the shelf, off the floor, and mason jars filled with home canned items need to be secured to their shelf with a bracket or cordage. The last thing you want is for your precious food jars to fall to the ground and shatter during an earthquake, hurricane, or other disruptive event. These are just a few of the scenarios that cause your food storage to be inaccessible or unusable. Think about the disaster risks where you live and plan your storage locations accordingly. Number 36. You don't know how to cook it. Remember when I wrote about wheat and why you should store wheat for survival? For heaven's sakes, do not purchase wheat if you don't know how to use it. Of course, it would not hurt to learn about wheat. Freshly ground, it makes a heavenly loaf of bread, the only problem being that it is so good you may eat too much and gain 50 pounds, which would be another problem entirely. If you are new to wheat, consider reading John Hill's book, How to Live on Wheat. To this day, I refer to it frequently. But wheat is not the only survival basic that may be unfamiliar. Beans of all types as well as rice is two food storage staples. Learn to cook these items now so you have an arsenal of recipes ready to go when if the time comes. Both beans and rice are inexpensive and work well with a variety of condiments, making them ideal additions to the survival food pantry. Additional reading, how to make a survival casserole and eight reasons old cookbooks are important. Number 37. Storing a lot of basic foods but omitting comfort foods. This happens to me all the time. In my quest to eat healthy 100% of the time, I sometimes go for weeks eating basic, blandish food. By that, I mean no fresh food, no cookies, and no kettle chips. Eat well and eat healthy, but be sure to allow for a splurge once in a while too. 38. Failure to include freeze-dried meals as part of your own 
food storage strategy. Yes, freeze-dried food is pricey with some care. However, you can find pouches, tins, and buckets on sale. The advantage of freeze-dried food and meal pouches especially is they are lightweight and therefore transportable. They are quick to prepare and require no planning or thinking. Add hot to boiling water, stir, let sit for a short time, and eat. Freeze-dried meals will get you through the initial stages of a disaster or disruptive event, giving you plenty of time to think through longer-term meal planning in a survival situation. There is one important aspect of planning your freeze-dried food storage. Try some sample meals before you invest in a six-month or one-year supply of one particular brand. I have my own preference that you are welcome to use as a guideline. Check out Mountain House or Legacy Foods, but there are others. Also, keep in mind that some kits are chock full of sugary drinks and other fillers. Yes, you will need some beverages, but they should not comp- comprise 40% of your daily caloric intake. Additional reading, the big deal about freeze-dried food. All right, let me make a, a little announcement here since uh, she talked about this. I recently did a review. Uh, Legacy Food sent me out their Mega Pack Sampler. This sucker is huge. I got a picture of the bucket up next to a five-gallon uh, drum from Home Depot. And uh, so I did the review. It's on Ed That Matters. And uh, in doing the review, they have given, uh, they will drop ship out uh, one of their mega sampler packs. It's over 41,000 calories worth of food uh, uh, in a giveaway. So on May 30th, around there, I'm going to do a giveaway um, on a raffle copter giveaway. And so just to let you know, I'm going to be giving away one of those humongous uh, mega pack samplers from Legacy Food. Uh, Did try it, did sample it. It's good food. There's a lot there. Um, it's a it's a sampler, so it's not like broken down into individual packages, but it does have a lot of food in it and a lot of good stuff. So be on the lookout for that. When that happens, I'll be telling you about it on the podcast definitely, so you can go and and register to win it. And number thirty nine, improper storage temperatures. Temperature and most temperature and mostly heat is one of the enemies of food storage, and yet it may be something you may not think of. Keep in mind it is that temperature fluctuations can be as bad as a sustained high temperature. I don't claim to know the science, but what I have found is that food stored at a constant 80 degrees will hold better than food stored at 30 in the winter and 90 in the summer. Anecdotally, this is especially true of canned goods I have stored in my home. Additional reading, survival basics, the six enemies of food storage. Number 40, not storing liquids to reconstitute your dried items. Have you ever tried to cook rice without water or broth? How about pasta? As much as I feel freeze-dried foods have their place, the liquid in canned fruits and vegetables will provide you an additional source of hydration. In addition, the drained liquid can be used to rehydrate freeze-dried foods. Win-win. Number 41. Not planning alternate fuel sources for cooking. This should be a no-brainer. When the power goes out, you will need a fire, grill, or portable stove. Rocket stoves and even propane stoves are inexpensive. Just keep in mind that you will also need fuel for your stoves, whether it comes from sources you gather, such as biomass, or from purchases of propane, charcoal, or wood. Number 42. No condiments or spices to wake up the taste buds. Salt, pepper, some chili powder, mustard, sugar, honey, the list is endless. These items do not need to cost a lot, nor do they need to take up an extraordinary amount of space. When you push, when push comes to shove, however, your eating experience will be greatly enhanced by having a variety of flavor enhancers on hand to enliven, enliven the taste of your stored food stuffs. Completely, completely agree. There's no reason why, uh, if you're storing food, that you should not have stores of prep uh, of pepper and salt. And salt. I mean, you know, you definitely need salt, but it's so cheap. All right, um, number 43, not storing a variety of items. I confess that I can go for days eating the same meal of baked potatoes over and over again. That said, most people need and want variety. This is especially true for children, the elderly, and the infirm who who may already be picky eaters. Plus, you need a variety of foods items in order to get a full complement of nutritional value from your meals. Can I just, that just drives me nuts when people... Don't eat leftovers. I mean, you know, my kids are like that. I I understand that. I know adults who are like, I don't eat leftovers. I don't eat leftovers. I just, it drives me nuts to waste food. You know, when you know that there's food in the refrigerator that you can eat, but just people just have a problem with it. Completely drives me nuts. It's just a pet peeve. Not my biggest pet peeve, but it's a pet peeve. 
All right, number 44. All right, we're getting to the end here, but this is probably this is the longest podcast I've ever had. Uh, storing food in inappropriate or unmanageable packages. Your mileage may vary, but I prefer to package food in small, manageable sizes. In my own household, items stored for the long term, beans, rice, lentils, cereals, dog food, etc., have been stored in one-gallon Mylar bags and not the larger five-gallon size. Take four or five of these small bags and put them in a bucket or Rubbermaid bin so that I can pull them out of, for use one at a time. For me, this is more practical since there are only two in my family. Plus, if there is a shorter-term emergency, I can pull out what I need without having to repackage the whole uh, Megillah. Another best practice is to store a variety of foods in a single bucket. So, for example, instead of creating a bucket filled with a single food type, create a bucket that includes a variety of foods plus appropriate condiments. If you are ever forced to use your food storage, you can pull a single bucket with everything you need to get by instead of rifling through a dozen or more buckets to gather what you need for meal preparation. As a bonus, if you are forced to evacuate, your DIY meal bucket will be ready to go. Additional reading, survival basics, using Mylar bags for food storage, and best practices for using Mylar bags. Hey, i got to tell you that uh, Gay was one of the first uh, articles uh, when I was researching how to do my own Mylar bags, my own long-term food storage. Um, you know, her article is one of the most important ones that I read. I mean, there's a couple of other ones out there, but hers were, were uh, hers was was one of the important ones. Uh, so she's got good information there. 45. Improper storage containers. This applies to a lot of things. Here's an example. Do not store your rice in a bucket that previously held pickles without prepackaging the rice in a Mylar bag. Pickle-flavored rice may taste good if you are pregnant, but practically no one else will appreciate this exotic, <laughs> this exotic dish. <laughs> Just thinking about pickled-flavored rice is, man, that's crazy. Seriously, though, make, your, make sure your food storage containers did not hold toxic chemicals in a prior life and make sure your containers are moisture and pest-proof. All right, number 46, purchasing a kit without evaluating the contents. This is another lesson I learned the hard way. Before purchasing a kit of any type, look at the con contents and decide how many of the items will be truly useful. If there are items you don't want, can you give them away to someone else? Also, look at the total cost. Is the kit still a good value even though you will not use everything? This apl also applies to bulk size products at Costco, Sam's, or other warehouse type stores. In many cases, I will purchase a giant size package knowing that a third will not get used. Even so, the purchase is a good value. But do not assume this. Sometimes it is better to pay more per ounce for a smaller size. Number 47. Being totally dependent on food storage for all of your meals. Regardless of how robust your food pantry, food pantry, it is prudent to consider other sources of food. If you have adequate light conditions, you can supplement your stored food with fresh vegetables from your garden. At the very least, you can grow some herbs that will not only provide nutrition, but will also have medicinal qual qualities. In addition to a garden, large or small, learn about the local resources that may be available by foraging, fishing, and hunting. Most areas have some sort of local bounty, whether berries, uh, trout, deer, or even in a common dandelion. Learn about them, know and practice all of the ancillary skills needed to safely turn them into edible fare. <clears throat> Number 48. Worrying about a 25 or 30 year shelf life when you are 70 years old. I'm being a tad bit cynical and facetious here, but really, if your lifespan is 20 years, don't worry too much about 30 years items. Surely, you can give them away, donate them, or use them in less than 30 years, but the point is, don't stress if the item you store away have only a 5 or 10 year shelf life. Remember to store a variety of foods and food groups. It is better to have a mix of items with varying shelf lives than to get hung up on extremely long storage life. Number 49. Relying only on home canned goods. This may shock you, but didn't, did you know that most authorities put a shelf life of one to two years max on home canned goods? This is especially true of meats. Now, I readily admit that I am not an expert in this area, but my good friend Daisy Luther is. She has written a book on canning for preppers, but beyond that, read what she has to say in the comments to the article, Prepper Book Festival, The Prepper's Canning Guide. This last topic is everything else. Number 50. Don't become a hoarder. As with everything in life, don't take prepping to the excess. Hoarding is not the same as prepping, and the accumulation of useless or marginally useful items can take up every spare corner of your home or apartment. Although it is wise to keep extra on hand for barter purposes, be realistic about your ability to prep for the long term while maintain, maintaining a clutter-free home environment.
Final word. There was a time when I was prepping, a prepping newbie, and even now, seven plus years later, I have more to do and more to learn. In my heart of hearts, however, I still feel like a beginner, and so I empathize with those that are just getting started. There may be moms and dads, seniors like myself, or enlightened millennials. That said, these days I feel fortunate that I have come so far with my prepping activities. Moving beyond obsession, the prepping way of life is now part of my core. It is what I do, as well as being a hobby and a passion. There is one thing that all preppers, whether just starting out or seasoned, have in common. We all want to be able to take care of ourselves and our needs during the best of times and worst of times. We want skills, knowledge, and enough food, water, and medical supplies to keep moving forward and to survive regardless of dire circumstances. Some of us may prep a little and others may prep a lot. Along the way, we may make some of the mistakes I have listed above, and most assuredly, there will be others. At the end of the day, however, we all want to live a life filled with growth, opportunity, and the ability to take care of oneself physically, mentally, and spiritually. To me, that is what prepping is all about, mistakes and all. All right, so great article. Man, this is like an intense article. Uh, lots of good information there. Uh, hopefully, uh, it, even if you are an experienced prepper like Gay, uh, you've heard something that you know maybe has triggered something. Maybe you haven't done an inventory recently. Maybe you haven't gone through your food storage and rotated recently. Maybe you haven't checked your bug out bag or your documents. You know, um, you know, maybe it's time to do that. And, and hopefully, this article will uh, encourage you to go do that. So, um, yeah, so this article was super long. This is the, the longest podcast I've ever done. Uh, it's going to be over an hour, but uh, that's good. So uh, a lot of useful information there. At least I hope it was and try to add a little bit more commentary uh, there as, uh, as, as I went along, uh, but not as much. I mean, I kind of held back a little bit because it was just um, because I knew that it was starting to go long and my voice is starting to crack a little bit. So with that, let's go ahead and end uh, episode 59. If you get a chance, come by the website, share out this podcast, or uh, you know, hit me up on one of the social medias, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or even come to the website and leave me a message in the comment section. And I always appreciate that. Uh, it just means a lot. So until next time, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.